0: Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 18, and we're recording on January 26th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and today we are going to be talking about Westerns, but we have some other things. I know, I'm super excited about this. I actually don't read a lot of Westerns, so... Um, This was an interesting one to get into, westerns in regular fiction or in science fiction and fantasy but
1: yeah i feel like weird westerns kind of took off in the last i want to say five years especially in yeah. comics there's like a ton of weird westerns in comics um yeah i just discovered that but the only i think i've read two actual true westerns which are true grit and lonesome dove and that's it
0: <laughs> <laughs> i should read true grit i know i have not read that but i saw the movie it's good
1: it. it's real good
0: I also feel like I'm, like, the last person to nerd out about the fact that you got to meet Nick Harkaway. Oh,
1: uh, (laughs) I did. Oh, yes, I did. I got to moderate his book launch at Greenlight Books in Brooklyn uh, for Nomen, which is so weird and good. Um, It was awesome. We Like, I used to tweet at him a lot. (laughs) back when he first started getting published because I've I've read all of his books, like literally all of them. Um, wow. And that was super cool that I got to do that thing. Yes. I, I feel like my nerd cred is high right now.
0: <laughs> it's totally high. That is incredible. I am also a super fan of his. I have not read all of his books, but I loved Angel Maker yes. with a passion and tried to like voice it on everybody I knew. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I was like, Jen got to meet him. That is so exciting. It was it was his
1: first ever U.S. tour. He's never been on a book tour in the U.S. before. They, oh, wow. Yeah, they brought him over to sign books at books, like, to do, like, a little, like, meeting with his publisher. And he went around and signed books. So I had met him in person. Like, I think it must have been for angel maker or was it for tiger man anyway it was a while back um and he didn't do any events and they they, like didn't do any events he was just in new york for like a hot minute um so i had met him in person once before but i hadn't gotten to do like an actual event with him so that was it was very cool it was very fun wow that's that's
0: amazing i i hope that he comes to portland one day yeah Mm -hmm. i would totally go to powell's for that Mm -hmm. um Okay, well, before we get started, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, and that is a book, I it, I think it was the first book I read this year. It's The Hazel Wood by Melissa Albert, and this is about 17-year-old Alice and her mother who've spent most of Alice's life on the road. Uh, always a step ahead of the bad luck biting at their heels. But when Alice's grandmother, the reclusive author of a book of pitch dark fairy tales, dies on her estate, the Hazelwood, Alice learns how bad her luck can really get. And I read this book. This is a debut from Melissa Albert. Um, She runs the BNN teen blog, and she is an exceptional writer. Now that I've read this book, it is fantastic. And if you love fairy tales, which I do, once I saw that phrase, I because I saw the synopsis a while back, pitch dark fairy tales, I was completely there for it. And it's absolutely true. It's very like weird Angela Carter esque fairy tales meets the real world. And a very angry rough girl. I loved it. I loved everything about this. So um, yeah, if that sounds interesting to you. That was The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. Um,
1: And I've been talking a lot. Do you want to kick us off with the first news story? Yes. So I think we should take a moment to talk about Ursula Le Guin, uh, who died earlier this week at the time of this recording. Um, She was 88, and I guess she had been in poor health for a while, Um, and I... I am still sad, was so sad on the day, um, mostly because, I mean, she, you know, she's older. She lived a very productive and prolific life, and she won, like, a, a like, she won several Hugos and multiple Nebulas. She won the World Fantasy Award. Like, she, she's recognized for her greatness, which is good. But now I'm just like, I will never meet her. She's an author I never got to meet, and I have had, like, the privilege of meeting a lot of authors due to my jobs. Um, but I never met her and I never will have a signed book and it makes me sad. Um, and now we'll never get any more installments from her. But, you know, happily there are quite a few uh, short story collections that came out recently and then her essay collection and then there's always rereads. So, that is how I am consoling myself.
0: Yeah. I went. I think we all learned about the news around the same mm-hmm. time. And it was one of those things where you don't realize how hard something is going to hit you until it does. Yeah. And when I I was the same way, I was like I am not a big crier but that whole day I was it was really rough Mm -hmm. like really rough she's a amazing person I'm like getting emotional now I'm glad that we're getting this out of the way Yep. (laughs) yep but yeah I have a lot of feelings about her and her writing and um, you know, the Earth, sea cycle, everything she's written. And I'm gonna, this is going to be one of those things where it's going to be very difficult for me to read the last book she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been wanting to get to it. But now I'm like, I I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she was she lived in Portland. And I really like there, there was a part of me too, that was that thought I would get to meet her one day and I, this is very random, but I went to like a bird show, like an Audubon Mm. style event and she had her books there um, available and it was just a a stand just for her and I was like, oh my gosh, maybe Ursula Le Guin's gonna come and actually be at this strange bird show (laughs) and I'm gonna, she didn't, she, it said that she couldn't, she was regretted she couldn't make it, but... I'm, I'm really sad about this and yeah. it's going to be a while before I, you know, feel better about it. So
1: I, I do want to say I've gotten this question a lot in the last few days. If you haven't read her, the, the one book I would recommend to everyone um, is The Lathe of Heaven which is one of the first books of hers that I read. It actually takes place in an alternate Portland. Uh,
0: oh, wow. Yeah,
1: and it's it just like blew my head open. Um, it's not her best known, but it's one of my all-time favorites. And obviously the Earthsea books, but if you're not like a, you know, super epic fantasy fan, The lathe of Heaven is amazing. I have to read that now. I have not read enough of her books. I
0: think it was just... I read The Earth Sea Cycle when I was really young. Mm-hmm. It was one of the earliest fantasies I got into. And, you know, it was it was pretty exceptional to me just because, you know, it was people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have to read the rest of her works. And maybe that's going to be the first one. And then maybe slowly work my way up to reading her last yeah. book, the collection of essays. Yeah. Um, Okay. <laughs> deep breath. <laughs> deep breaths. Deep breaths. Um, I kind of want to talk about this Harry Potter, the Voldemort movie. Okay, that just recently came out. Uh, we had talked about this before when it was when they were just basically talking about this fan film that was going to come out that uh, is based on the of the Harry Potter universe and. It had, they got Warner Brothers Blessings to make this Voldemort Origins of the Air movie that is just, it's an unofficial fan film. Um, and I actually watched it, came out just recently, maybe a couple of days ago um, on YouTube, and I watched it this morning, <laughs> and I knew... Um, I was I watched it just because it was interesting that they got the okay to make this film, and that was interesting enough to me to actually go ahead and watch it, even though I knew it wasn't necessarily going to satisfy anything for me in terms of learning about, like, the origins of Voldemort. And so I just watched it. It was under an hour, and it was actually the production quality was really good. They did a crowdfunding campaign uh, to make this happen, and the film's makers are triangle films. Um, this is, again, this is a non-commercial work, by the way. And the production value was pretty good. Like, I was surprised by that. There were some weird little dubbing things, but um, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. I don't feel like you – I don't feel like anybody needs to watch this movie, but <laughs> it's <laughs> – if you're a big Harry Potter fan, I feel like there's probably a curiosity um, about it, and you can kind of, this is sort of the the kind of movie you can put on in the background, which I did because there's a lot of exposition, um, but it basically follows the heirs of the different houses, so Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw and Gryffindor and Slytherin, and it, follows Tom Riddle, and what happened to, like, how he became evil or where he started to become evil. Um, So yeah, it was an interesting experience. It kind of made me more wistful more than anything, like, because it didn't fulfill a feeling of like, oh, now I understand the story. It's not like canon. And it's just, you know, it's like reading fan fiction, which can be satisfying sometimes. But Um, I just found it. I just found this whole project very interesting and I'm still shocked that they got to do it. It's, you know, they didn't make any money off of it, but that's still like a pretty big endeavor for a property like this where, you know, you would think they'd have all of the Harry Potter stories on lockdown. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, Rowling has gone on Rowling, right? Rowling has gone. Or is it rolling? I
0: think it's rolling. Oh, gosh.
1: I I, like know it and then I forget it. JK Rowling. No, it's rolling. Okay. So she has been sort of historically very kind to fan fiction. Um, Yeah. And so this seems like an extension of that. I mean, I also am impressed because, you know, Warner Brothers isn't warm and fuzzy. Um, No. But I guess, you know, who knows? Maybe her contract has something about it or I don't know. Yeah. so but it is interesting because some authors have, you know, been much more protective of their works and much more active with, you know, cease and desists and and takedown notices and all that stuff. So it is sort of a a signifier of a brave new world for fan fiction.
0: Yeah, I mean we were just talking a little while ago about Tolkien and his mm-hmm. estate and how protective um his son was over that estate. And so, yeah, you do definitely get a lot of. You never know what you're going to expect, and it was kind of interesting that they went ahead with crowdfunding before they even, you know, asked permission. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> it could have been a completely different story. Mm-hmm. I just find it really entertaining. I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. This movie was interesting. I would watch it if you're really curious. You're not going to miss out on anything if you don't watch it, but. I sort of had to. I don't know why.
1: (laughs) I know why. It's because you're a huge Harry Potter fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that thing. That's
0: why. (laughs) Yeah. So I I got it out of my system. Moving on, I still feel like a little bit, I still feel Harry Potter fatigue in a lot of ways. (laughs) So I feel like I've filled my quota for anything Harry Potter related for a while except maybe, <laughs> oh except maybe one other thing but I we can maybe talk say. about that later
1: <laughs> Well, I'm you, a liar. Since you brought it up let's just go right into it yes. they put out a trailer for the Hogwarts mystery game which uh, we talked about earlier if you'll remember they're making at least two probably more video games for mm-hmm. the Harry Potter universe one of them is going to be an augmented reality sort of like from the same actually it was from the same makers as Pokemon Go um, this one is a role playing mo- mobile game called Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery and they released a trailer and I can just tell from the trailer that I'm going to be bad at this game <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at like compli- like complicated hand eye coordination or even not that complicated hand eye coordination tasks but the trailer is really cute uh, the uh, animation style is fun to look at it's very it's very Hogwarts-y I don't know what did you think? Mm-hmm. I thought the
0: same thing. It's very very Hogwartsy. <laughs> that should be a term. Um I got immediately excited about this game and the part that's really interesting to me and super exciting is that it's one of those it's like it's a role-playing experience and it's one of those experiences where your decisions in the game sort of shape your story. And every time, I'm terrible with the hand-eye coordination stuff as well, but I do like the games where you sort of mold your own destiny. Um, I'm probably going to be bad at this as well, but uh, there's a part of me that always approaches these games thinking, I want to do all the evil things and be the evil (laughs) character and see what that ends up looking like. And then I always make like, the moral decisions in the... I, like, I just can't help myself sometimes, but I'm almost tempted to try that with this game. And the thing that's worrisome for me is I was just reading this book, uh, Bored and Brilliant. It's going around a lot, and it's basically about not spending a lot of time on your phone and putting your phone <laughs> away. And the first thing I thought, it was like, but, but the Harry Potter game is going to come out, and I... <laughs> i'm gonna lose some time to that i don't know if i can. i don't know if i can not play this game i'm i know i'm gonna be bad at it i am excited to play it anyway and maybe being bad at it will help me curb my inevitable addiction
1: so <laughs> i really want you to play this in like full slytherin dark slytherin mode Oh, I so want to And like to. document the process. <laughs> I want to hear about that.
0: Maybe I'll do it just for just for you yeah, guys. For I will be <laughs> I will be the evil villainous character I have always wanted to be.
1: I I will say that um I was part of a and d group once and uh, when I was building my character, I definitely made them the least amount like myself as possible. Like it was a very chaotic, neutral, like look out for yourself first character, which is I've never, wow. I'm, I know <laughs> I'm not like that so much in real life. Um, and so, and, and it was super fun. Like it was really fun to sort of try to get in that mindset just for the space of the game. I enjoyed that experience a lot. So I do recommend like playing not as yourself in some game at some point, because it's just a fun mental experience. That sounds, that's enough
0: of a, that's convincing enough for me to actually go ahead and try it. I think I'm going to do this. (laughs) There's all sorts of warnings in this article about, you know, just remember what Dumbledore said sort of things. Don't be like like
1: Crab and Goyle. (laughs) Too bad article. (laughs) Too bad.
0: I'm not. I'm going to be better than them. (laughs) More evil. (laughs) So there. (laughs) Okay, now that I've made my pledges, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about this Margaret Atwood, Mad Adam uh, adaptation? Yeah, go That's for it. That's hard to say. Um, so there's going to be a series adaptation of Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam novel trilogy, and it's being produced by Paramount Television and Anonymous Content, And they basically, Paramount won a bidding war for the trilogy, I guess it was, uh, there were a bunch of people trying to get to it. Um, And so, of course, these are the novels, three novels, Oryx and Crake, The Year of the Flood, and Mad Adam. And it's this post-apocalyptic story about um, a global pandemic and the end of mankind. And Darren Aronofsky was actually originally working on an adaptation um, at HBO, but then that project did not move forward. And he's no longer attached to this adaptation. And so now it's going to be executive produced by these people who I don't know. David Cantor. Uh, it's anonymous content, basically, and rock, paper, scissors entertainment. Um, so it's going to be produced by them. And it seems like it has uh, Margaret Atwood's stamp of approval so far. The vision, at least. So it might be interesting and good, uh, they've already, obviously Atwood's adaptations or at, Atwood's work in adaptation has had a lot of success with The Handmaid's Tale, um, uh, which I still haven't brought myself to watch because I'm, it's rough. Um, but so it's having a lot of success. I'm looking forward to seeing how they adapt, uh, this trilogy and what that looks like. I'm sure it's also going to be bleak and grimdark. Um, so <laughs> that's always something to I think I'm interested in. So what do you think about
1: this? Did you... I don't know. Did you read them? Oh, Adam yeah. Trilogy? I've read them all. Uh, okay, I, 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 so. re- I really enjoyed them, actually, although I, I did struggle to get through Oryx and Crake. But then once I got to a certain point, like I just tore through the whole series. Um, yeah. I think this is well, I, I am. I have to say I'm a little bit sad that Aronofsky isn't involved anymore because I have yeah. enjoyed some of his past works. Um, the new team has done Catch-22 for Hulu, 13 Reasons Why for Netflix, um, TNT. He's the alienist. And they're actually the same team that's doing the Vampire Chronicles, which is another story we have to talk about. Yeah, which is interesting. But I don't know. I mean, as long as it's on a platform, I will watch. Like, if this goes direct to Amazon, I'm never going to see it. Um, But hopefully that will not happen. Uh, Hopefully it will be somewhere where I can actually watch it. And... um I, I'm curious to see what they make of it. I I have no idea. I have no idea. But I did think it was interesting that this is the same team that is working on the Vampire Chronicles adaptation. Should we just dive right into that? Yeah, we should. Go ahead. Yeah. So so the it's the same producers and the uh, they're bringing Brian Brian Fuller is now um, going to work on this. And if you don't remember his name off the top of your head, you have probably seen something he has done because he is the guy behind Pushing Daisies, uh, American Gods, Hannibal. Like, Brian Fuller is kind of Mm -hmm. TV ubiquitous in in my circles. Um, And it's so funny because he does have a big range of work. Like, Pushing Daisies is not necessarily the same type of thing as American Gods, although he does that sort of dark whimsy, I guess, is his through line which is a good through line to have if you're going to be adapting Anne Rice. Like Dark whimsy could work for the Vampire Chronicles. Uh, so yeah, it's I'm I'm super curious about this. I confess that I never read these books, uh, but I did see the 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 movie at a very um, young age, Interview with a Vampire, it, it was, and, and I did see Queen of the Damned in the theater, actually, now that I'm remembering. Me too. So, <laughs> because Aaliyah, like, come on. Um, I know, that was exactly the reason amazing. why was. She's But anyway, yeah, So so this is, I mean, you know, sci-fi fantasy TV is real, really having a moment. It is.
0: I'm, I mean, I'm really glad for it, obviously, mm-hmm. and I was pretty excited about The Vampire Chronicles because I was obsessed with Interview with the Vampire when I was, you know, a teenager. And I read the book right after I saw the movie because, you know, I was obsessed and I wanted to imagine all the characters mm-hmm. and all that. And, you know, even though Anne Rice didn't like... um Tom Cruise playing the role of Lestat, so I'm curious about what she'll think about whatever casting happens. Uh, but <laughs> I actually I don't like Tom Cruise in all things, but I actually liked him in that movie. Um, I still kind of love that movie in a cheesy way. So I'm looking forward to see where they seeing where they take it. I really don't remember a lot about the book because it was so long ago, and I think it hap- It was one of those situations where you read the book and then. It gets all sorts of mixed up with your movie memories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am no expert anymore. Um, But I am also looking forward to this. I probably more than anything else, I will probably watch this when it comes out. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be good, I think. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm being optimistic for once. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's good. That's
1: good. You're growing as a person. I'm growing. (laughs) I'm not
0: gonna be so snide anymore. It's a new year, it's a new (laughs) me. There
1: you go. Oh okay. Well, on that note, should I should I tell everybody about our second sponsor? You should. All right, so our second sponsor is Reign of the Fallen by Sarah Glenn Marsh, sponsored by Penguin Teen, and it is about a girl named Odessa who is one of Karthia's master necromancers. Uh, Whenever a noble in this kingdom dies, it is her job to raise them, by retrieving their soul from a dangerous shadow world called the Deadlands. Uh, but once you have been raised, the dead have to remain shrouded. And if even like a tiny bit of their flesh is exposed, they begin to transform into a terrifying and bloodthirsty thing called a shade. And suddenly a ton of shades are being seen around the kingdom. And there's big questions as to who is responsible for this. And then Odessa is is trying to figure out if her magic is like going to bring down the kingdom that she works for. So she has to fight alongside her fellow mages um, to untangle a gruesome plot to destroy Carthia. So if you are a fan of books like Three Dark Crowns uh, and Red Queen, this is another read of that type. It's a gutsy and unpredictable story. There is an LGBT romance at its core, so if you're looking for more representation in that Region, you should definitely check this out. Uh, It sounds like a lot of fun. I will be keeping an eye out for it. I do love necromancy stories. I I didn't Mm -hmm, think I realized until this past year how much, because I'm thinking about... Oh, what's the bone one? Shoot. The bone witch? Yes, no, the no. Bone, oh, witch. Yeah, yeah. Yes, bone witch. The bone witch by Rin Pick. I was yeah. like bone crossed. That's not what it's called. <laughs> <I know. laughs> That's a different <laughs> book. So many names. So too many, many, many titles bone books. bone. <laughs> but um but yeah, like I was thinking about the bone witch. I was like, oh, I will take all of your girl necromancers. Like bring them to me. I will take them. Oh, so man, anyway. That is Reign of the Fallen by Sarah Glenn Marsh. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. And now we get to talk about Western. Indeed. <laughs>
0: Do you want to kick this off?
1: Sure. I will kick this off. Well, okay. So I reinterpreted our prompt a little bit because I was thinking about how, like, the West is a very specific geographic region, right? Yeah. But but at, in my head, at the core of what a Western is, is it is a frontier story. Like you're, you know, venturing into dangerous lands where law isn't necessarily always followed, that kind of thing. And so my sci-fi Western pick is River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey, which has been getting so much love in the Book Riot uh, camp And I finally picked it up. It is a novella. It's the first in a series. The second one is out. And this is hilarious. This is based on a real thing. Apparently, in the (laughs) early 1900s, the U.S. government considered a plan to import hippos into Louisiana as an alternate meat source. Like, who needs cows when you've got hippos? Turns out this is a bad plan. (laughs) So they didn't do it. But Sarah Gailey basically wrote these novellas as if they had. So the book is set in 1890s America. Um, They've dammed up the Mississippi to create this, like, massive marshland area. And it is overrun by feral hippos who are, like, we'll kill you. We'll kill a man. Um, And they are – there are also, like, hippo farmers who, like, breed – not feral hippos and like you know they're like mounts like you ride them (laughs) you ride your hippo around in this world um and so there is a guy who used to be a rancher and is now a mercenary his name is Winslow Houndstooth and he gets hired by the government to clear the feral hippos out of this marshland because they want to retake it for government use um and he is like cool, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to do it, and concoct this crazy plan that needs a team of very specialized people to help him pull it off. Um, one of them, whose name is Hero, is a munitions expert, and is a non-binary character, which is delightful to see. There's another one named Adelia Reyes, who's like a knife expert, very dangerous. Uh, there's Archie, who is a super thief, and very enjoyable to read about. I really enjoyed her. Um, there's a bunch of other characters, too, including our record requ- was it, like, stupid bad guy? Um, and so this first novella is the story of, like, this caper slash operation, as Winslow in Sasan calling it, um, to get the feral hippos, who will kill you if you're not careful, out of Louisiana, involving a lot of bombs, basically. <laughs> so so I I found it super enjoyable I was really bummed because my library didn't have the second one available immediately for me I was like I need to know what happens next um (laughs) it does come to like a fairly satisfying conclusion but then there's a little epilogue that you're like but wait I need to know more about that so well played Sarah Gailey um but yeah it's just a hilarious premise especially because it's like real like this is a real thing that 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 could have happened but didn't happen so alternate alternate history with bombs and hippos if you're interested that's the river of teeth by sarah gailey
0: that book was so out there right? it was so bonkers <laughs> i i was like wait what yeah. what and from reading like the first the prologue on like when you find out it's real that was
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, um. <laughs> but like I, I, I gave it a little sort of caveat because obviously Louisiana is not like the West in the classic definition, but it in this in this imagining it is a frontier. So that's my rationale. Yeah.
0: It, when I saw the title, I didn't even question that it wasn't a western because they're like basically cowboys, mm-hmm. and that's what I think of. Yep. I don't know. Um, okay, so my pick is a comic book. And it's funny that you were just talking about Mm. how the Weird West has had its resurgence in comic books. Um, So it's Daisy Cutter, The Last Train by Katsu Kibuishi. And this is a really fast-paced shoot-em-up graphic novel that follows Daisy Cutter, who's this retired criminal who used to have this Bonnie and Clyde act. But she she now owns a general store in a new West town And she spends her days in a complete state of boredom and listlessness. Like, when we meet her, she's just, like, hanging out in her shop by herself, shooting sucker darts at a board. Uh, So one day she gets this offer she can't refuse. Uh, Well, actually, she does refuse it at first, and then she gets herself in enough of a mess that she can't then refuse it. And she gets one of those last heist offers, And the story follows her on what seems like a routine last job, but there's more to this train robbery than meets the eye. And you can tell right away that something is off. And that all sounds familiar enough in terms of like a typical Wild West story. But what makes this the Weird West is that it's a futuristic version of the Old West. And yeah, so it's called the New West, this town. And it's where humans live alongside robots... And radios and phones exist, although they look, everything looks slightly different. Like the stuff we actually have in our worlds, the technology that exists, there's something slightly off about it that tells you like, okay, this is a completely different version of um, the Old West. And one of the thieves that Daisy actually works with is a robot. So there are holograms, that sort of thing. And I really enjoyed Daisy as a character. She's really rough around the edges and very no-nonsense. There's a bit of a love story between her and the sheriff. They have this very tricky relationship and a super complicated history that makes it difficult for her to get close to him, and he really wants her to become the law alongside him, which isn't something she's willing to do. It doesn't get super romantic ever in the book, uh, but because that's just not the character she is. She's more of a like nudge you in the ribs with her elbow sort of affection person, (laughs) but it's really endearing what is shared between them. And I also really like the art style in this comic. I don't always need the art to be exceptional, like Hyperbole and a Half is one of my favorite comics. Oh, yes basically drawn with ms paint or something Mm -hmm. so but the art style is really great in this comic it's cutesy especially when we're talking about the characters but the backdrops and the action scenes get really cinematic and really detailed and i found that contrast visually interesting and at points it does feel like you're watching an old west film it's all in black and white by the way um Or maybe more like watching an animated short about the Wild West. That is how the reading experience felt. And it's kind of sad how quick a read it is. And it sounded like Kibuishi might have been planning to continue with the series, but then got busy with his more popular graphic novel series, um, Amulet. So this is probably it for Daisy Cutter. But if you're looking for a fun, lighthearted, weird West story, i definitely recommend this. And my only caveat is that finding this book is a little tricky because it went out of print. Um, this all sounds so fraught now that I'm saying it, but he had, <laughs> he, he had to kickstart a reprint, and it was very successful. He had a two thousand dollar goal set, and the Kickstarter ended up reaching fifty one like basically $52,000. So it was super successful, but that was years ago. And I did end up seeing it on sale at Gallery Nucleus's online store. Um, It's an art museum. And he also has his more popular, more easily attainable graphic novel series I mentioned a moment ago. Um, It's not Weird West, but it's science fiction with robots, demons, and cute animals, which is kind of what Daisy Cutter was as well. Except the cute animals. I missed that in this in this graphic novel. <laughs> but yeah, that's the Amulet series if you're looking for something else by him. Um, I haven't read it. It looks similarly fun. I think he's an excellent visual storyteller. And yeah, that's it. That was Daisy Cutter, The Last Train by Katsu Kibuishi.
1: You know he did the cover redo for the Harry Potter books, right? What? That's him, yeah.
0: No, I did. Oh, that is so amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they've re-released so good the covers myself. in the last few years, and he's the he's the artist. Oh, that's awesome! Mm-hmm. I oh man, I probably shouldn't go out and buy a bunch. Of <laughs> oh no, I've created a monster. <laughs> no, Jen, why did I tell you that? <laughs> Oh, boy. Now I know who to blame. Yeah, it's all least. my fault. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, okay, so my fantasy Western pick is Gaslight Dogs by Karen Luachi, which ironically also, it's not irony. That's like a Linus that irony. I guess what I'm saying is <laughs> it is also the first in what seems to have been intended to be a series, but nothing else has happened um with the series for some time. So who knows if and when we will ever get more of this story. Um, it's been about seven years since it came out. Um but it is a sort of alternate vision of like the 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 colonization of the West um in the like even know how to say it. the word like it's a, it's like a it's a reimagining of the west uh, with fantasy and one of the main characters whose name i'm probably gonna i tried to find a pronunciation and couldn't but it's i'm gonna say sien is uh, a member of the Ainu, which are based on the inuit so they live in like what is sort of a version of Alaska or or an extremely Northern land. Um, They are indigenous and they have their own traditions. Um, And then there are these sort of European-esque, you know, invaders with guns who are encroaching on their land as well as having taken over most of the lower continent, And she gets taken prisoner after having an altercation with some of these exploring, invading, European-esque people. um, And taken down to their frontier. And she is a sort of shaman of her people. She can like send out her it's kind of like a patronus she, it's her dog mm-hmm. um she has like a dog it's like patronus is the next best word i can think of or spirit animal um who she can send out and and she can experience things through her spirit dog's eyes um and the person who has taken her prisoner is a general who knows of this tradition and he wants like access to this spirit magic for himself so that it can like help them better win the war of expansion. Um, So she is taken prisoner and told to teach the spirit magic to his son, whose name is fall. And this guy is like wants nothing to do with it. He kind of hates his dad. He's used to being out on the front lines and like, you know, being a soldier, but he has come home and is being told by his father that he can't leave until he masters this magic, which he doesn't want to do. So there's a lot of like, frenemy situations like the enemy of my enemy is my friend like nobody likes each other but they're being forced to work together it's super uncomfortable uh for everyone involved and the story plays out in a really interesting way like it's a very muddy and like gritty and dirty world and um and following Sien through it she's just like so sort of she's she's not like blown away by the civilization. It's different from hers and she can, she's trying to adjust to the differences, but she's so secure in her own traditions. It's a really nice change of pace because obviously Westerns traditionally don't involve much of an indigenous viewpoint. Um, so this is a very different one. And then you also get, there's this, you know, indigenous tribe, um, in the lowlands who are fighting back against the encroaching forces. Um, and you, and that's like a super violent part of this book. This book does get very violent just FYI Um, and so there's a character from uh, that tribe as well that becomes very pivotal to the plot but so it's it's like one book and it doesn't feel that long but a lot happens it's very atmospheric I definitely can picture it like immediately when I think back to this book like the images just spring right into my brain Um, and it was a nice sort of counterpoint to the very Eurocentric tendency that westerns have so again that's gaslight dogs by karen luachi who i'm there's interviews out there with her she is not inuit herself but she studied with them and she is a woman of color as well so it's a different sort of representational take from 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 your average bear uh so yeah i thought it was really interesting i really want her to finish i like want to know what happens next i'm just like i guess she's writing other things and i will seek those out but i really i would like book two of this please and thank you sometime soon thanks
0: that's so rough when that happens. Ugh, it's very frustrating. I feel for you. Yeah. That is hard. Um Well, my my pick is something that immediately came to mind when we were talking about this theme. It's one of my favorites and I love this author. I'm recommending Six Guns Snow White by Catherine M. Valente. Uh, and I read this book when I was really deep in the fairy tale retellings weeds. I think I gave this book a shout out when we were talking about mm-hmm. fairy tale retellings and remixes. Um, this is, as you may have guessed, a Snow White retelling. It follows Snow White, who in the story is half white and half Native American. She's the daughter of Gun That Sings, who is forced into marriage to Snow White's father, who's this wealthy, white mining baron um, and not a great person. Gun That Sings does not survive her daughter's birth. And then, of course, in comes the wicked stepmother who gives Snow White her name, mocking her stepdaughter's darkness, like her skin color. Um, So, of course, this is not a happy family situation. It's when Snow White feels like she desperately needs to escape. And it's what happens when she does escape that's the big adventure in this story. And Snow White is, again, it's another very gritty, gun-wielding, horse-riding heroine. Um, She's a young woman in this story. And the book does take place in the Wild West. Of course, it's a different sort of uh, Old West with bands of rebel women and elements of folklore, which is something I always love and look for. And... I was in the same sort of – I was getting a lot of Europe in the fairy tale retellings I was coming across (laughs) at the time, of course, because, you know, it's ubiquitous. So it was really refreshing to come across this book. I'm very welcome to stumble across something inspired by the Old West and with Native Americans on the page, um, you know, indigenous people. I would love to read more science fiction or fantasy books set in the Wild West by an indigenous writer, by the way. So if anybody has any recommendations, please let me know. I was desperately looking for something for this theme. Super. And it is so
1: hard. Yeah, incredibly hard to find.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed this story. And this was also my first uh, Catherine Valente read. Oh, nice. Yes, I have lots of feelings. And everything she writes is super imaginative and out there and kind of like nothing you've ever read before. And that's how I fell in love with her writing uh, when I found Six Guns Snow White. And the book has an interesting format. It's a novel. So, uh, novella, sorry. So it's a quick read. And the book is made up of these really brief sections. So there's a lot of brevity in the writing style as well. And everything is a bit clipped and and blunt. And that maybe sounds weird, but it absolutely works with the tone of the book. It felt like you were racing from danger the whole time. Everything is very fast-paced. And there are assassins and outlaws and all of that, but on a deeper level, the stories about colonialism and racism and women's roles in this society, where their beauty is tantamount and it's their way of surviving and also a curse. Um, So yeah, fast-paced, gritty novella with a lot of depth. And I'm so excited because I just got an an arc of an upcoming book from Catherine Valente called Space Opera. Yes, and I want that. I want it. it looks i haven't read it yet it's been a while since i read any book of hers and it just sounds so fun and totally out there and i'm basically just hyping myself up to read this book (laughs) at this point uh but yeah for this theme my wild west fantasy is six guns snow white by Catherine m valente
1: and that's our show it for us thank you so much for listening uh you can email us with your comments and or questions and or theme suggestions i think this one was a suggestion that we got uh send those to us at sff at bookriot.com uh you can also review us or rate us on apple podcasts we love to see your feedback and it helps other people to find the show you can find me online at jenirl.tumblr.com that's jen with two n's what about you You can find me on Instagram. I'm at SZaina Williams,
0: S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time.